now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. And these. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from Class to Cults and the Cheese in Between. The movies are B-Movie, entertainment is grade A, and I am your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and I'm joined by my dad, Mr. Al Giaconetti. Hey, Jason, how is it going today? Good, good. We're going to do a feedback episode. So, first one up is from Luke. It says, is an animal, vegetable, or mineral? He's talking about the monolith monsters. Mm. Jay, just wanted to write a quick email to say that I very much enjoyed the episode covering the monolith monsters. This movie is one of those oddballs where I had been aware of it for a long time, thanks to a compilation tapes of movie trailers we had back in the day, before I ever saw it. Given that the uh, titular monster is in fact just a really big mineral deposit, I think the film works really well on a straight science mm-hmm. fiction level. Yep. The, these Jack Arnold films seem to age better than a lot of their counterparts due to their plausible science. This is similar to the work of uh, Ivan Tors, who's best known for his animal-themed TV shows such as Flipper and Gentle Ben, but who had earlier in his career done fact-based science fiction such as The Magnetic Monster and Gog, though admittedly Tors is much less known than Arnold. Uh, what is most interesting to me is that while the term was not popularly used when the film uh, was released in 1957, it could be argued that the meteor rocks themselves represent a sort of invasive species. I know that uh, I know they are not alive, but they cannot be defined, uh, but cannot be defined as a species. Therefore, cannot be defined as a species. But given that caveat, the way the rocks grow, reproduce, in quotation. And spread over an area is very similar to how we understand an invasive species being introduced to a new ecosystem and then spreading and destroying that ecosystem. I imagine that if the film was remade today, at least one of the scientists would make that comparison. Looking forward to Jan in a pan and whatever else comes down the pipe. Luke. Um, So, of course, the monolith monsters, um, we covered that way, way back beginning of the year. Uh, That is, uh, you know, one of those... Science fiction movies that is often overlooked. Uh, I know Spenguli shows it. It's part of the package sold through to him. 
Um, and a lot of people, maybe that's the first time they ever saw it. Uh, the Monolith Monsters is, uh, again, being intelligent about it. Like, the science in the movie makes sense. I mean, there there's fantastical stuff happening, but it's just enough real science to keep it grounded. Yeah, I remember that movie. Again, I, had never, I hadn't seen that in... 30 years and when we, we when I saw it for the for our podcast I said boy this is a really good movie yeah, yeah and that's the problem with uh, I say the problem but it's like that's I think that's what sometimes sets these movies apart as crazy as it might be to have you know a, a tarantula that's the size of like you know uh, you know double the size of a house or whatever like that crazy part of it but if you ground it in science if what's there makes sense it kind of makes the movie flow better. It's kind of like we saw with Monster on the Campus. Uh, we saw that. I mean, obviously, anything Jack Arnold movies, we see that um, because what happens is then uh, uh, his um, his grounding in science, his scientific background part of it makes perfect sense. And then we wind up getting uh, movies that make more sense in the overall theme. All right. Second one up. Um, it says, Jan in a pan. What else? Uh, Jay, The Brain That Wouldn't Die is not a very good movie by any stretch. and It's not a particularly memorable movie either, but man, it works as one memorable bit really, really well. The image of Jan's head in that in the dish is classic B-movie schlock. I can, I can only imagine how many haunted houses and spook shows have used a similar gag mm -hmm. to have a talking head on a table over the years. This is helped by, of course, Virginia Leith's uh, totally unhinged performance, although evidently she hated making the movie and refused to return for post-production audio looping, which we talked about in the episode. Yeah. Given her working conditions, I'm not sure I would blame her. The rest of the film leans heavily into the salacious, sorta, but not all the way exploitation film yeah. with Bill, our unlikable protagonist, and it's not exactly sad when we see him get his in the last reel, which we discussed in there exactly. Was kind of you know, he, he as as a protagonist in the movie, he's kind of a jerk. Um, as discussed, the film is indeed in the public domain in the U.S. This is due to the mismatched end title card. Evidently, due to the wrong title being on the card with the copyright date, that voids the copyright altogether. This is similar to Night of the Living Dead, where the late change to the title card stripped off the copyright notice entirely, which is why. Night of the Living mm -hmm. Dead is in the public domain. It's a, it's the whole big issue with it, which is why companies put out Night of the Living Dead specials from Blu-rays. They can rip it off, like whatever. It's just what it is. Like you, I'm pretty sure I first saw this film on MST3K, and it is generally regarded as a classic episode. I think the outlandish nature of the film, even compared to other Misty Fodder, helps viewers remember it. The character of Jan in a Pan would be played in three host segments appearances by Mary Jo Pell, including a spot as the entertainment at Crow's bachelor party in episode 616, which is the Racket Girls. Of course, her stripping routine simply involved gauze being pulled off her head. It does not go well. <laughs> anyway, look forward to all the bees coming down the pipe in 2022, Luke. Uh, yeah, of course, um, we talked about this, is that... Uh, uh, you know, the brain that wouldn't die, a.k.a. the head that wouldn't die, um, is by no stretch of imagination um, a movie that a lot of money was spent on. It's not exactly a great film in general, um, but it's an enjoyable movie. I mean, it's, it's not boring. That's for dang sure. Um, but he's right. It's like there's two separate movies going. There's the science fiction movie and the exploitation movie happening at the same time. Um, and that's part of the problem, I think, with that with the film, uh, that people have with it is that 
Like the part, if it was just all like sciencey stuff, yeah. it'd probably be okay. But it's like him like hunting for the perfect woman, and he's so creepy and like it's just ugh. Well, think of it. I, I mean, what was the year that came out? There was a fifty, fifty something, right? Yeah. I mean, fifty-seven. I I don't remember seeing this movie in the theater because I don't think anyone did. No, I I think no, but I think the, it, I think this movie was rated C on the 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 Catholic Church's movies oh, oh maybe yeah. yeah because even though even though it, it's it's it, it's a, I'm a horror movie because of the salacious nature of the of the, the film it was on the condemned list and you know where you saw the condemned list it was really funny when you go to church on sunday yeah, in the back of the room. in the back of the back of the church there was this white board that had the a's the b's and the c's and all of us were what's on c what's on c Right, and I think that might have been one of them, because I re- I remember this movie was never shown at the Burke Theater, which is w- which was our theater to go. Right. It was never shown there, and the first time I saw it was on TV. Yeah, you know, on a on let's say a, a movie nine or something like that. Right, Channel right, right, eleven. Right, you don't have to pay for anything. There's no copyright. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, our our third email uh, is also from Luke. Uh, so it says uh, it says Sinbad at the World's End. I have the tiger. Um, enjoy, uh, and Jay, enjoyed you and Dad's, uh, your and Dad's coverage of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Unlike Seventh Voyage and Golden Voyage, I have not seen Eye of the Tiger as many times, so many parts of it are a little fuzzy around the edges. But it fits in with the series well and plays a similar role for old-fashioned escapist adventure. Structurally, the film seems to follow the same formula as Golden Voyage, which makes sense as it was pressed into production while that film was in theaters. The non-stop danger faced at every step by the heroes, the race between good and evil to a mysterious, far-off land of an ancient civilization for an object of power, an evil magician suffering uh, great physical harm as uh, as 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 the cost of their magics, and a battle between two behemoths and a temple at the finale. I, the Tiger does feature more prehistoric-style creatures compared to mythological ones, but they all are ultimately still well-executed Harryhausen creations. According to Wikipedia, in pre-production, the war was seen originally was featuring the crew battling a Yeti, which I have, would imagine um, have been quite impressive. But the Yeti seems like it would be very similar to the Troglodyte, so perhaps a good switch. But overall... Uh, another great menagerie of monsters populate this film, which is the main draw for most viewers, I imagine. As far as, as comparing the film to Star Wars, I think an old Hollywood type of special effects movie would have been negatively compared to Star Wars in 1977. The revolution was on, and the sea change uh, which was coming was evident. It's not the fault of the film that the filmmakers were making new, different decisions. This, the same can can be said uh, of Clash of the Titans, which at least is the last hurrah of the older style of movie. Eye of the Tiger made for a convincing comparison point for critics as the other tentpole fantasy movie of the summer, and the fact that the two are so different from each other, and, 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 and the fact that the two are so different from each other. While critics are paid and expected to either create cinematic uh, sacred cows or tear so-called less-deserving films down in order to drive readers to their columns, 
as we uh, viewers are afforded the luxury of, a sim of simply deciding for ourselves whether or not we enjoy a film, even if too many of us allow our taste to be guided by the ideologies and algorithm which pokes wi uh, picks winners and losers as far as movies are concerned. And, of course, the ultimate irony is that Eye of the Tiger and Star Wars are now old-fashioned at this stage. In the words of Philip J. Fry, time makes fools of us all. Anyway, thanks for covering a film that I needed to revisit with the kids and looking forward to whatever comes down the line. Luke. Um, yeah, and of course, we talked about the fact that Eye of the Tiger, um, you know, in the same year as Star Wars, which is mm. all visual effects versus all stop motion. And there's stop motion in Star Wars. I shouldn't say that there's not stop motion in Star Wars, but let's be honest. Star Wars, you know, the work of, you know, Dennis Mirren and the work of, you know, uh, you know, um, Dyster. All those guys, yeah. every one of them, right, kind of thing. All of them was just the cutting edge of what film was going to be. And, it, and then they changed the landscape of special effects. Probably, probably, you know, it's, it's probably like the, the difference between going from, you know, Jack Pierce applying the makeup, you know, for six hours to somebody to that, like, let's use a mask because it's quicker. Like, things have to evolve and change. And where we are now with movies that, and even non-special, even just comedies, non-special effects movies, just the amount of special effects used in movies and TV and commercials and everything. You can trace a lot of that back to uh, obviously what was coming out of uh, Star Wars. The same way you can trace back, um, you know, all the stuff that like Harryhausen did and whatever kind of thing, like all that stuff goes back to Willis O'Brien in 33 with King Kong. And even earlier than that with uh, with you know, the Lost World. Yeah. I mean, King Kong really is, is the tentpole for that kind of thing. Uh, but that's really where you look at those creature movies, things like that. And then the idea that like, well, we can't make it a certain way. So let's put a guy in a suit. And, you know, let's be honest, like, uh, you know, the, the kaiju movies of, you know, the Godzilla movies and stuff like that with a man in a suit and suitmation. Suitmation is not, not only limited to Godzilla, but that's probably the most well-known yeah. of that. I, I remember when Star Wars came out, obviously, <clears throat> you know, Mom and I went to see Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. And then, we, then when we saw Star Wars, Star Wars just blew us away. I mean, yeah. the, you, that's the whole, the whole thing. You always want to find... The next great thing. And Star Wars came out. You had never seen anything like this. Any of the movies that had uh, spaceships and whatever, they looked like putt-putt machines on, yeah. the, on the screen. Even even the, uh, like, uh, some of the ones that were just that predated this that were a little better, they still were cartoonish. This looked real. Yeah. And so it just blew everything away. And... It, it, again, have we had another movie like this? Uh, the only one I can think of is the first Jurassic Park, yeah. because you hadn't. I mean, it, the the technology had now caught up. Yeah. Caught up. I mean, yeah. now it now gone even further. Right. But that's the but, thing is, but the first Jurassic Park, they looked so real. real. People believed they were real dinosaurs. Yeah. That's how crazy. And that the story was, was yeah. good. The, the acting was good. Yeah. But again, the, every so often a movie comes along that changes the landscape. And Star Wars was the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, um, Jason and the Argonauts, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, even the the, the lesser ones like uh, First Men in the Moon and uh, the Three Worlds of Gulliver. You appreciate them for the technical uh, wizardry, 
But did they change the landscape? No. No, the difference, though, is I think when you see watch Jason and the Argonauts, the story is so good yes. and engrossing. Seven Voyages of Sinbad is one of the, amazing to be one of the best movies ever made because the story is so engrossing yeah. and everything looks so good on the screen. And I think that's why those movies, uh, you know, in, in the same vein that them was cutting edge and like even the original Gojira was cutting edge. Like, I mean, they just hadn't, you hadn't seen things like this. Right. And, and it looks so good. But the difference was when they were in black and white, pieces rather than fathoms, nothing wrong with that or, or uh, 20 million miles to earth. But because of the color and like you now saw like, the Arabian Nights came alive. Like everyone's like not everyone's not wearing you know blacks and whites. It's now reds and blues and whatever, and they kind of do that too. And that's part of the difference, though. Is um, there's an old kind of the old school quote unquote way of thinking is well we'll do it all physical, right? And then the new school quote unquote way of thinking is we'll do it all digital. Well, the reality is, as Steve Wang told us, right, during when we were had, yeah. we were talking with him, right? And and it's not just Steve Wang. I mean, we've heard Rick Baker talk about this and stuff like that. You do both, right? You push the envelope as far as you can, and then you need CGI to do this. So you need to, like, there's not one or the other. And that's the thing is, nowadays, people are like, oh, no, it has to all be CG. No, it doesn't. It doesn't all need to be CG. Some of it can be physical. Now, is it sometimes more cost-effective to do it all CG? Maybe. Yeah. Well, you have, but you also have to remember that the the CG in conjunction with the physical has to make sense. I'll give you an example: the the third Mummy movie where, with the Rock is the uh, Scorpion King. Okay, when you see him as oh, the when, second one. Oh, it's the second one. When yeah. you see him as, as the Scorpion, as a Scorpion, yeah. he's he's fine. But oh when no, you, when he's just as, as yeah, Rock, as yeah, the yeah. Rock. But when you go to the digital, his face is not him. Okay, because. The, the right, technology not, had, exactly. was not there yet. Right. I, I've, I've, I said this. I said this to Luke. Actually, I said it would be so much better if they had made the the you know the the Scorpion King where he's an actual scorpion. Yeah. Now, because now it would be the rocks. You know, whatever it would right. look really good. But like the Scorpion King, the movie where he's just a guy. Yeah. That's a good movie, but because he's not a scorpion, you yeah. know, kind of thing. I mean the. The, the Mummy movies back then, the ones from the late 90s, they're pretty good. Yeah. I like them a lot. And they still hold up. Oh, no, a lot yeah. of the effects hold up in them. Yeah. The issue is that's so pain. Every, but everyone saw it was like, oh, God, no. Like, it just yeah. it's, it hurts to see it. I think of it like this. Um, there are movies that are have that, like, you look at, um, like Van Helsing has a problem in it, too. Yeah. Some of the CG in Van Helsing is horrendous. And some of it's really good. Because the physical is really good. And you're like, oh, this movie could have been a lot better. Now, story aside, whatever you might think of Hugh Jackman, whatever kind of thing. But like some of the stuff, you're like, oh, really? Yeah. Like the CG looks bad. Whether you like the Frankenstein's monster design, whether you like Dracula design, whatever kind of thing. Those things are different. But it's still, when, the, when the CG looks bad, it's bad. And that's, and that's what you remember. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to remember... That the movie itself was probably pretty good. Yeah. But when you when when you say that, the first thing like you and I, first thing you would say is, yeah, the CG wasn't the greatest. Yeah. And but again, the what what a, the whole point of the Harryhausen movies was that they never they never start they never were the 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 the, the newest and greatest and whatever they were solid. I we got to go see it. And they were all in sequence, and they each one had its great moments, and some of them had the had comedy, but none of them were, oh my God, everybody's got to go see it. But you get a movie like Star Wars, and or even the year before when Jaws came out, yeah. everybody had to go see that. Yeah. And 
Well, yeah. it didn't hurt too that Jaws was like literally one of the best selling books, right? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Like it was like when the Exorcist came out. Well, see, the Exorcist was a we huge were, selling book. You know, too. the thing with Star Wars is that I had this year back in the in the 77. 70, 72, 73, 74, when they were they were thinking about it. The first thing I heard about that was the soundtrack, John Williams soundtrack, and I the movie it sounded great. The movie, the soundtrack sounded great, and then. The movie came out because they just released the theme, the the you know the the opening thing there, montage, and then when we went to see it, you're sitting there and you say, "Jesus, I wish I could sit through this again," yeah. and you know as the other ones come through, you know as you're a critic, you could you could you could slam Jawa, you know uh, what they the not Jawa, Jar Jar Binks, Jar Jar Binks, but. Well, the, okay, so I'm going to be very, very honest here. Is Whether or not you like the originals or better than whatever, I mean, it doesn't matter, matter. right? The problem is when you look at George R. Binks, as much as you might not like his character, when you look at the way he looks and then look at the way the, the newer ones, even the ones that people are, like, hated, like, yeah. you know, like, the hated the actual films, he looks comical in the way he's CG'd. Yeah. The CG in those movies doesn't hold up. And you're like... Oh, okay, that's part of the problem. But you have to remember, movies are products of their time. Like, I, you, you know, everyone gets mad because George Lucas went back and messed around with the originals yeah. and did this and any other thing. Like, you like the originals because that's what you remember. And, like, you know, and the, the joke is always, well, they're going to make a remake of it. Well, no one's taking away your original. Well, but when he goes back and then you can't get the original originals anymore because he's now screwed them up and done this to whatever. And, again, however you might feel about that, like, the it's just like... Don't mess with that. It's okay that it looks like if you don't like the original that we saw, like when they first came out, original Jedi, the original Empire, right, whatever. Those for a long time were hard to get because they only had the remastered version. Where all of a sudden, like now, the laser actually goes the right way, and that, like the movies have their like. That's why people overlook those things because they love them so much. But well, if you want, I mean, the problem is with Star Wars in general is that people get, and it's the Star Trek thing too. People get blinders on sometimes, and they just don't want to hear anything you have to say. Mm-hmm. It's only there, like, because don't mess with one. It's my greatest thing ever. It's my entire mm-hmm. life. Cool, dude. No one's saying that. I don't care. Like that's the problem. Like as as somebody who's not a comic book guy on a network of comic books. Right. And there's a guy who I don't really read comics. I don't. And a guy who's not a huge. I'm certainly not a Star Trek fan on a network that has a lot of Star Trek fans on it. And as someone who's I liked the original three Star Wars and then like the, I saw the other ones. And like, OK, like I just don't care. Like Star Wars isn't like my thing. Like that's hard for people to understand. It's it's cool. It, that's it's fine. Like, go do that. The same way that some people hate certain movies. Like, well, I hate this horror movie. Like, you did? Okay, well, what did you hate about it? I don't know. I never saw it, but I hate it. Yeah. You hate it? Why? You hate the idea of, like, see, if you said to me, you will never watch a John Landis movie ever in your life because of what happened on Twilight Zone, the movie. All right. I could understand, you know, that that's a personal thing that you're, you know, what but to say I hate. And then fill in whatever, right? Because for years you hated Friday the 13th movies, but you never had seen one. And now we've been watching Friday the 13th movies, and the first few, and again, five is going to be a problem. But like the first few have been, oh, these are pretty good. This makes sense. Like these, like they make sense, right? What happened? Now, the problem is Friday the 13th 
the idea of it is not just the movie. It's now all the stuff that goes along with yeah. those and the ripoffs and the cheap ones and the make fun ofs and the whatever. I guarantee you, I don't think you've ever seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movie either. Yeah, I saw the first one. The first one? Okay. Yeah. But, and the, well, the first one's is really freaking good. But I'm saying, like, number two, which is the one where it's, like, all about, like, there's rampant homosexuality in it that didn't mean to be there, but now is there and all this stuff. Like, when you look at it now, you're like, oh, my God, how'd they not see this in 1980-whatever, right? But when you watch those movies, if you watch it with the right mindset, if you're going in <clears throat> wanting to see Citizen Kane, go watch Citizen Kane, Right? But when you go in saying, okay, I want to see, you know, Kevin Yeager's effects and I want to see this and with this and does the story hold together? Does it make sense? Whatever. Those are okay. Look, I mean, as a kid, like, good Lord. I mean, I can remember how many years was I waiting for Jedi to come out? Like it was like my, because I was what, five, five right? right? Like my entire life was Jedi, 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 gotta have Jedi. Like, and then Return of the Jedi comes out and it's great. I love Return of the Jedi. But like... Okay. I mean, I didn't watch it every single day. No. You know, kind I mean, of thing. There are people that do. No, I know, no, no, yeah. no. No, but I'm saying is, but that's what it, it's, it's that. It's okay to do that. And I think that's one of the things that Luke's kind of getting at there. The idea that, like, your two tentpole movies of 77, Star Wars and uh, Eye of the Tiger, yeah. right, could not be more diapositely opposite of each other. Outer space, Western, you know, kind of whatever, old school fantasy, you know, right. very whatever. You know, a lot of like cutting edge, whatever. Ray Harryhausen animating by hand, like. But those two movies, they both made a lot of money. Mean, Star Wars made a lot more money, right? Because Star Wars is. Remember, we talked about. You and I have talked in the past about movies that you know, you know like a movie like Halloween or a movie like whatever. Like Halloween was made for seventy thousand dollars, and I'm making like however many yeah. minutes into right. Star Wars is on that list of like independent quote unquote independent movie because Star Wars didn't cost like a hundred million dollars to make. No. I mean, but you know, they were inventing stuff on the set. Right. Everybody was everybody was on uh, you know they were nobody was a name yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Everyone became so you look back now, you're like, oh my God, how'd they get these names? Because they weren't names yet. It's like when Carpenter got Rob Botine to do the effects in the thing, thing. Which are is probably one of the best effects movies of all time, right? And people are like, how do you get Rob Bottin? Because Rob, Rob Bottin wasn't was, anybody yet. He was because Robbie. he couldn't. Right. He was Robbie. Well, he was. Well, he was. But he was because he had worked on the Howling. He had not worked on um, what do you call? It? He had not worked on um, you know because Rick Baker was doing American mm -hmm. World of London for Landis. So they were like, oh, we got to get someone to do this. So they went and got Rob Bottin, and then they're like, well, the Howling was amazing. That was werewolf for changing. Now think about that. You have American Werewolf in London with the change o head and all that, but done in bright light. I mean, Rick Baker's like, you want to do this? Let me show you how to do this. And Baker has probably forgotten more about special effects than most people will ever know. And Botine's way of doing it, again, with the air bladder. I mean, he used a lot of older ideas, but still very effectively, you believed that that person's changed into a werewolf. The same way that you believe uh, David Naughton is turning into a werewolf. The difference is... Uh, the the, the change-o heads and that stuff like that, it used a lot of old-school ideas in a new-school way. And he pushed that envelope. But he showed it to you in a bright light. And people are like, well, but, you know, I could tell. Like, you could tell what? You could tell what? This isn't now, 2022, with the, like, 4K restaurant. 
Back in the day, you're on a you're on a screen in, in a theater. Yeah, but even then, I mean, when when they have Norton's hand, no, no. Like, but I'm saying no. is, but but if you look at like if you looked at the 4K or whatever that you can see because it's so clean, you can yeah. see the distinction between the hand in oh, one oh, part. Oh, oh. You yeah. can see where the film is different. When it was grainier back in the day, you couldn't tell. Yeah. Now I'm not saying it's it's not blatantly obvious, but even watching old black and white movies. It almost becomes three-dimensional in the screen because of the way you can see it. Like when you watch something where, like watch King Kong, the original Kong, and the scenes where they're walking in front of, you can tell they're walking in front of it. But you knew that 30 years ago. But you didn't care because it's King Kong. So anyway, I know we're kind of getting a little bit, but what I'm saying is, you can enjoy the type of movies you enjoy. And if you enjoy Star Wars, great. And when I guess it was very important and did all those things. But you also have to kind of look at what inspired it. When they talk to Phil Tippett, what inspired I mean, Phil Tippett does his go motion and he does stop motion. He talks about Ray Harryhausen. He literally talks about, well, without Harryhausen, I wouldn't be here. And Dennis Muren says the same thing. Like the, these guys are all saying, without Harryhausen, we don't have a job. Because we wouldn't. This is a job? Yeah. I, mean, I, I can do this mean, and get paid? Yeah, and their contribution is how do we make it a little better? Or easier to, to portray on the screen. I mean, that's that's how Star Wars got made. I mean, there must be thousands of individual scenes yeah. that you really couldn't... It would, it would have cost, back then, yeah. half a billion dollars yeah. to make. Right. I mean, but there is stop motion in the movie. Yeah. And yeah. that's what people forget. They forget that there's stop motion in that whole movie. And then, like, the, when they're doing the fleets of stuff and whatever. Yeah. I mean, those are models. Yeah. There's, it's not all digital. It's models. But what they were able to do is they were able to add in, well, let's add light here. Yeah, let's do yeah, this here. Yeah. And it's always about pushing that envelope. And I'm cool with that because we're getting better and better stuff to the point where now, like, there was a time when you would think, like, okay, we're going to blow up a car. I mean, they still blow up cars. I mean, I'm not saying they don't blow up cars. But, like, you're blowing up a car you can now blow up that car and have the car flip like this and have, because you can tweak it. Right. Right? And you can have this happen. And maybe instead of like engulfing everyone in flames, we have the flames a little bit smaller and then digitally add some flames in because you can't tell anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the chase scene in Bullet, right? There's no, I mean, they chase and they're going through the street. I mean, that was shot in, on streets in- with real cars. Right. And I, that's always going to be better. But when when the when he shoot when they go blow up when he goes into the gas station and it blows up right now that explosion would be bigger like yeah. maybe more and they could tweak those scenes and shoot at different angles because now you can have drones and have camera like cameras can be in places you couldn't get a human being right and now you can get this insane angle on this car coming around the corner it's just and then you can tweak it. Right, so it looks like the car's even going faster, and it's all about those little tweaks that make it so much bigger. It's the difference between watching uh, Doctor No and watching uh, what's the new one, No Time to no Die. Time. Yeah, like I mean, you know, I mean, they're both James Bond movies at their at their core. They're still the exact same thing, but you know, I mean, there's a difference between. You know, uh, you know what you get in the movie and like the realistic of whatever. I mean, they're doing. I mean, they have a tank, literally the tank that the dragon. The dragon. It's they're really shooting real fire out the front of that. Yeah. I guarantee you, no one shot at Daniel Craig for real in that movie. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. But so anyway. But all right, all right, hey, folks. You know, the one thing I wanted to uh, just to bring up. What's always it's bothered me forever and ever in the 
in in the old movies in the in the forties and the fifties and even into the sixties, when or any time when a car goes off the off a off a hill, right? He goes down and it explodes into a million pieces. It was obvious. It's not. It was. It was done yeah. in real time. Does the crew have to go down and pick up all the pieces? <laughs> I'm. I'm serious. I mean, think about that. The the cars go down. They blow up, and, and they're all. They're on in a canyon someplace right. most of the time. Do they have to go down and get every one? Well, of those if, it, pieces? if they shot it, if they, well, it depends on where it's shot. Dad. Yeah. If it's part of a back lot, something like whatever, yeah, oh no, you know, yeah, yeah. no, no. But, but I'm I, saying, when they really put it over the side. I mean, you know, yeah, that's what I'm talking. It because I I just watched the movie the other day. It was a noir movie, and the, in the movie, two cars actually they're being shot at by the police, and the and they blow the tire out, and the car goes through yeah. the guardrail and into the ravine, and it explodes, and parts are everywhere, yeah. and. Yeah, so I, I've always wondered: Do they have to go down in? Because is oh. the is the is the contract says where you can't, you know, defend. Yeah, go pick up all the stuff. <laughs> all yeah, the so stuff. I don't know. So, and I digress. Anyway, all right, folks. So uh, that about does it for us on this feedback episode. Again, we always encourage people to send feedback. We love feedback from you. That's how this show uh, gets put together. Here, we you know we need feedback from you. So um, you know the thing is. Um, Sorry, excuse me. Uh, as we're looking at what's coming up, obviously we hope you enjoyed our, you know, our episode of Predator earlier this month. Um, and as Dad and I talked about, you know, we mentioned Friday the Thirteenth. Well, that's what's coming up in August, Friday the Thirteenth, Part Three. You do not need to watch it in 3D, but if you want to watch it in 3D and you have the glasses and the special edition Blu-ray, enjoy. There's not a lot of 3D in it. There's some, um, but. As we know, there is something very important that will happen in uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 that has left an indelible mark on society, uh, you know, 40 years ago. So, uh, that about does it for us, folks. Uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, joining us and, uh, you know, for all your support. Um, again, we love hearing from you. If you have some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send it on into the show, and we'll read it on the air. Um, as long as it's appropriate, if I have to edit out certain words, I will, and certain content, which, of course, I've had to edit in the past, uh, because it was grossly inappropriate for any show. Anyway, with that being said, keep those cards and letters coming, and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacanetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?